Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Exodus chapter number 20, the book of Exodus in chapter 20. And we are on Sunday evenings working our way through the book of Exodus. We are uh, in this very famous passage of Scripture, passage number 20 or chapter number 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. If you found your place there in Exodus 20, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter number 20. And we're going to begin in verse number 8. And we're going to go verse number 8 down to verse number 11. Uh, This is commandment number four, and this is the longest of all of the commandments. I mean, up to this point, they've all been rather short and uh, rather concise, just direct and right to the point. No sort of uh, illustration or application really given, but this commandment goes a little farther than all of the other ones thus far. So we pick up verse number eight, the fourth commandment. Verse number eight, remember the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. For in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Well, we've seen already the the first commandment. You should not have any other gods before me. He instructs instructs the children of Israel, and by way of instruction to the children of Israel, he instructs you and I that there is a proper object of worship, and that object of worship is Him, and is Him alone. The second commandment, you sh- no, no images, no carved images, no images of wood or stone or gold. And He tells us that there is a way in which He wants us to worship Him. There is a proper manner, if you will. The third commandment, shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's where we hung out last week. And He's He's teaching us in that passage that there is this appropriate attitude in our worship, that we are a representation of who God is. And as the people of God, representing our God, we should be careful in the way in which we conduct ourselves, the things that we say, never choosing to take his name lightly, seeing God or his person or his character or his nature as anything is small. And then today, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And this is teaching us that there is, a, there is a proper time to worship the Lord. That if we worship God, that we, we must worship God, and in worshiping God, that God is to be worshipped exclusively, He's to be worshipped reverently, He's to be worshipped correctly, but also He is to be worshipped regularly. This is, this, is a, this is a good word for us in our day. Because it is so easy to crowd God out with the busyness of the schedule, with the busyness of the season, with the busyness of life. It is easy to neglect worshiping God. It's easy to go, oh, I'll, I'll spend more time in devotions next week. I'll do more Bible reading tomorrow. I'll, I'll go double on the prayer time next week. 
Right? And it's easy to allow all these other things to crowd out our worship of God. So he gives us the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, so what, thinking from the children of Israel's perspective, what would it be for them to remember the Sabbath? Then thinking from our perspective, what would it mean for us to keep the Sabbath? Those are the two ideas we'll try to tackle this evening. With God's help, we'll get to it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Think about it from the perspective of the children of Israel. All the life that they have known up until this point has been a life of slavery. It's been a life of hard, unending work for Pharaoh's good and benefit. Under Pharaoh, the children of Israel had no idea what a day off was. You'll remember that when the children of Israel had asked Pharaoh for him to allow them to go free, Pharaoh says, well, if this is how you feel about my control, about my rule, about my reign, less brick or, or, or less straw, more brick, right? Remember that? And then, and then double the workload and you owe me twice as much as what you were already doing. So under Pharaoh, the Israelites were only seen as, as uh, products of, of work units, right? That's it. How many more bricks can I get out of them? How much more work can I put on them? How much more energy can we exasperate from them? This is, this is the mindset in Pharaoh. There was no rest. There was no day off. There was no sense of enjoyment. There was no sense of refreshment. There was no sense of, of uh, rejuvenation. It was lashes and hard work and toil and labor for the good of Pharaoh. And now in response to that kind of leadership and to that kind of life, God tells the children of Israel, man, and, and he gives them the longest of all the commandments, and he, in it he tells them that thou shalt remember the Sabbath day, you shall keep it holy. In particular, you're supposed to do all of your work in six days, that's verse number nine, and then you are supposed to take one day and you are supposed to remember that day. You are supposed to allow it to be a Sabbath, a day of rest. You're to set this day apart, making it the Sabbath or making it altogether holy, right? So the word holy is simply set apart, unique, exclusive for God. So you have to make this a holy, exclusive, set apart day for God, and, and in so doing, like not you, not your wife, not your kids, not uh, your servants, no one in your house, none of them do any work because that day is wholly set apart unto the Lord. And then as, or by way of example, he says in verse uh, number, six, number 11, and six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, all that is in them, and then he rested on the Sabbath day. So he's even saying, and God even gave you this as an example. God demonstrated for you and for me this Sabbath principle. And the Sabbath principle was that the seventh day of creation, the Lord rested, not because he had wearied himself. An omnipotent God cannot run out of energy. An all-powerful God cannot 
deplete himself in any way. So God does not rest because he is depleted, because he is inefficient. He, he rested by way of example for you and for me. So, so what, must, what must this mean? It means first, the principle of the Sabbath. The, the principle of the Sabbath. In the principle of Sabbath, you have three things. You have first the call to worship. Here, here's the phrase, keep it holy. Keep it holy. That there should be in your life and there should be in my life holy times, set apart times, times exclusive, given exclusively to the Lord. The Sabbath was to be holy, set apart. It was to be kept holy in that it was observed or, or given as a way to the Lord to, to emphasize our trust in the Lord. The, uh, the, the call to worship inside of the Sabbath day is, is to deliberately set aside time that is for God. Yeah, that's, what it meant, that's what it meant for them. For them, it was the seventh day. Okay, so Saturday. So for them, it was the seventh day. That this day was exclusively set apart for God. It belonged to Him and was to be observed as a day wholly given to the Lord, right? That's what it was for them. So, so what must this mean then for you and for me, right? Thinking of, thinking of how it applies to us, that there should be in your life and my life certain priorities given to our relationship with God. I think that that would be at least two things. Certain priorities in our lives that we say these are priorities. These are things that we are going to build into our schedule. These are things we're going to work into our, into our calendars. These are things we are going to prioritize in our life, right? They're going to be the, the number one priority or A1 priority, right? If you're, if you're, if you're working on like sequence and ups and downs, A's, B's, C's, one, two, threes, right? It, these are A1s, these sort of priorities. I think they would be at least two things. I think it would be first, a private time of devotion where you spend time individually and privately with the Lord, where you do this every day, that you ought to have a time in the morning or you ought to have a time in the afternoon or you ought to have a time in the evening where you are giving that time. If it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, if it's an hour, where you are giving that time to the Lord individually, privately, they're wonderful tools to help you do this. If you have Bible reading schedules, you just begin in the beginning, go through the end, read the, read the Proverbs, read the Psalms, but decide that you are going to commit yourself to set aside time in your day to give that to the Lord. That belongs to God. It doesn't belong to anybody else. But this time is blocked off, reserved, holy for the Lord. Like, keep it holy. That's what he says. So I think it would, it would apply first to uh, our, our individual private devotions, I think it would apply second to just the, the, the consistent, regular practice of, of attending corporate worship. It's your, you're sitting here this evening, you're going, okay, well, uh, on, the, on the Sunday where we're dealing with the Sabbath, here I am giving this day to the Lord. It's wholly committed to the Lord. But, it, but, it's, but it's more than just that. It's, it's carving out time in your schedule to make sure that you are attending corporate worship Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
Wednesday night saying if the church gets together and meets, if the church is having service, then I am going to be there. This is a part of our schedule. This is a part of our routine. It's not up for question. It's not up for debate. The church is meeting. We are a part of the church. We are members of that local body. So we are going to be there. Making that a priority in your life. Making that, building that into your routines. You say, well, pastor, we just needed, we just needed some family time. I don't know anything better to do for family time than to go to church together as a family. I don't know any activity that helps bring your family closer together, that helps align family priorities, that helps you talk about family disciplines or structures, that help you have good conversations with your children about their future, than spending time together at church. You go, well, pastor, this, this, feels, this feels really juvenile. This, this feels really... This feels like stuff we were taught when we were little kids. If you want to mature in your Christian life, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, go to church. Yep, that's it. You got it. You figured it out. This is the secret. Read your Bible and pray every day and be faithful to God's house. Be faithful to church. Make it a priority in your life. Build it into your schedule. And this is one of the wonderful things. We almost never change the schedule. You don't have to wonder. I wonder what time next Sunday we're going to meet for church. We, we almost never move locations. You don't have to wonder what's the address for where church is going to take place. We, we've, we've done all these wonderful things in order to bring some sort of structure and schedule to it. You don't have to wonder. I mean, it's either going to be done at 12.15. I mean, if I'm feeling really froggy, we might go till 12.25. I mean, at the latest, we're getting you out of here at 12.30, right? I mean, it's, it's almost always right on cue. You can, you, can, you can almost bank, you'll be eating lunch by 1 o'clock. It just depends on where you choose, I suppose. But you can almost count on it, right? And these are wonderful tools for us to be able to prioritize and us, for us to be able to schedule our, our weekends. Man, corporate worship, making that a time. The, the, the principle of the, of the Sabbath, it's a call to worship. Keep it holy. Don't overlook that phrase. Keep it holy. It is a holy day. In fact, what, what do we say about Sunday? We say Sunday is nap time. No, no, no. We say Sunday is the Lord's day, right? We say that. That's the Lord's day. And generally what we mean by that is God gets an hour and 25 minutes on Sunday morning and then the rest of it is given over to the other hobbies and activities that we want to enjoy. So, so it's not really his, his day. He gets, he gets an hour and 25 minutes of it. And what would it mean in your life? What would it mean in my life? What would it mean in the life of our church to say, this is God's day. Whatever he wants from this day is what I want. Whatever he chooses for us to do is what I want to do. How he chooses for us to utilize it is how I want to utilize that day. Man, it's a call to worship. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So it's a call to worship. Number two, what is the Sabbath day? What's the principle behind it? Number two, it's a call to labor. Well, no, 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 it's not. This is supposed to be all about days off, vacation, his sleeping in, nap times. We haven't talked anything about vacation, sleeping in, and nap times yet, right? Well, notice the verse. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. It belongs to the Lord. It's a day of worship. Look at verse number nine. 
Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And so this, this verse makes it very clear that God expects his people to work, look at me, daily and diligently. God expects his people to work daily and diligently. God's idea of a work week is not the American idea of a work week. Here's the American idea of a work week. Five days you labor, you get two days off on the weekend, right? God's day is, God's work week is six days you labor, and then you give one day wholly to the Lord as an act of worship to him. God makes it very clear. This is a call to work. And more than that, it's also helping us understand that work in the eyes of God is a good thing. Work in the eyes of the Lord is a good thing. For, for many people, the view of, of success or the idea of success, getting to the place where you want to be in life, is the idea of not having to work anymore. And they say, we're working, I'm, I'm putting all the extra hours in so I can build up all this extra time so I can get to the place where I no longer have to do any more work. And yet the principle laid down here inside of the fourth commandment is, no, 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 six days you labor, one, way, one day you give wholly to the Lord. That is because God has uniquely and individually wired us to work, to go to work, to do work, and to do good work. In fact, work exists in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Do you remember this? He puts Adam in the garden. He fill, fills the garden with all good things. And then what does he tell Adam in the garden? Now, Adam, get to work. Tend to all the life, all that I've placed in the garden, and do so as a way to honor me. God has created you, God has created me, and God has uniquely and individually created us to work. This is what theologians would understand as the dignity of work inside of creation. And the fall of man in Genesis chapter number 3 results in this work that God has given to us. Now work becomes frustrating. Now, now work becomes exhausting. And now work becomes uh, life-taking. Now work becomes this thing that we just trudge through to hurry up and get to the weekend. But that was not the way that it was originally designed by God. Work is a part of what it means. Look here. Work is a part of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And here's how you know this. Because God works. God is a God who is working. God is at work in the creation of the world. God was at work in the redemption of, of the children of Israel from, uh, from Egypt. God is at work through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work in his church. God is at work in the heart and the life of every born-again believer who's put their faith and trust in Jesus. God is at work in this place right now. In fact, when you get to the New Testament, Paul says, He, speaking of God, who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work at the very end, which, which tells us that even right now, what is God doing in your life? God is doing 
work. He is working in your life. He works all things together for good to them that that to them that are called according to his purpose, Romans, Romans 8, 28. And we can keep going with all the understanding of Scripture of how our God is a God that works. God never calls in sick. God never takes vacation. God is always at work. God's, God works the night shift. He works the day shift. He works the swing shift. God is always at work, and God is always working and finishing that good work that he has done in you and you, you and me. So hear me on this. God then commands us to work. And all of us are gifted and assigned and called and positioned individually and separately in order to do a certain work. There's a work God has for me. There's a work God has for you. There's a work that God has for the person next to you. All of us are individually positioned, all of us uniquely gifted in order to do the work that God has given to us. But hear me on this. We should not see work as a bad thing. We should see work as an expression of being made in the image of God. Well, that, that got like one person okay. Everyone else was like, well, I was thinking of calling in sick tomorrow, but I guess you're going to put me on the guilt trip. It is, listen, the, the Sabbath day principle is a call to worship you're, you are to carve into your schedule a priority to worship the Lord. Set aside time to worship the Lord. And you are to carve into your schedule specifically a, a, a responsibility, an obligation to fulfill the image that you were made in, which is our God's, in that you have a job to do. So, get to work. Let me say a word about work. Well, pastor, I would get to work, but I'm just, I'm just waiting for that perfect job to come along. And I've decided that while I wait, I'm just going to hang out, play Fortnite and video games all day, right? frequent the coffee shops, chill with my homies while I wait for the perfect job to come along. No CEO has been called to the top level office right after he defeated the villain in Fortnite, whatever the villain is. I don't even know, right? Here's, here's my help for you. Here's my help for you. This is specifically speaking to young adults. Here's my help. While you wait for your per perfect job, while you wait, learn how to be a really good barista. While you wait for the perfect job to open up, learn how to flip hamburgers. Go, while you wait for the perfect job to open up, learn what it means to get out the lawnmower. <laughs> while you wait for the perfect job, learn what it means to mop a floor. It's really good, Pastor. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but while you wait, I, I understand. Well, that's not what I always want to do. And I've got my perfect job. It's supposed to happen. It's supposed to come. Well, great. Until it gets here, get to work. Find a job. Work a job. 
Do a great job at the job and do that job to the best of your ability. Do that job diligently. Do that job intensely. Do that job as a representation of the Lord your God. Work that job to the honor and the glory of the Lord. So whatever you do, do all to the honor and the glory of God. And then allow God to use those times to teach you principles, to help you grow and learn, to mature you along the way so that you will be prepared and ready for that future job. And moms and dads, I'm really trying to help you here because your son or daughter, they're going to want to marry somebody and you're going to want that somebody to have a job. So rule number one for dating, do they have a job? Well, he's just waiting for the right opportunity. Eh, off the list, right? Well, he's just, he's, he's an he's a artist. He's just waiting around. He's just waiting to be discovered for his great artistic, eh, off the list, right? I, I want to know what's his job, right? I want to know what does the job record look like. I'm not trying to get an artist, okay? I'm trying to get somebody to work hard. Just get my thumbs up on that one, right? Call to worship. What is the Sabbath? What's the principle of the Sabbath? It's a call to worship. Hey, look, look here. Find, find you someone who prioritizes worshiping the Lord. They build it in their schedule. Find you someone who knows how to work hard, even at not their perfect job. Number three, find you someone who knows how to rest. Here it is. Ready? Watch it. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. That's the Lord's day. Six days thou shalt work and do. Six days thou shalt labor, do all thy work. But the seventh day. But the seventh day. This is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And in it, the seventh day, thou shalt do no work. Thy son, thy daughter, a maidservant, manservant, cattle stranger within thy gates. For, here's your example, in six days the Lord made the, the heaven, the earth, the sea, all that's in them, that, that is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore he blessed the Sabbath day, and he hollowed it. God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh. And he did not rest because he was tired. He, he did not rest because he was weary. He did not rest because he was deficient in any way. He is an omnipotent God. He has all power. This is, his, this is one of his attributes. And as, uh, with, with the attribute of all power, of omnipowerful, he can in no way be deficient. God is not resting because he is deficient. God is resting as a to set a pattern for you and I to follow. The Sabbath day in particular then was a call to, was a call to rest. It was a call to rest. Think of it in two ways. First, think of it in their context. They lived in an agricultural society. Right? So when you've got to get the seed in the ground, you've got to do so at the right time. And when you've got to get the grain in the barn... You have to do so at the right time. So the rooster crows and you get up and you go in the field and you work the field all day till the sun sets and you can't see anything else. And you go in the house, then you eat, and then the rooster crows and you get up and you go, and you work all. And this is what is required in order to maintain a good living in an agricultural society. To call in sick isn't an option when the crop is ready. 
Right? How many of you understand that? We're Southern California. We're not agricultural society, but I think we get that point, right? We can, we can understand you. you, you got to get, get it in it. You leave it there. It's not going to be any good. Somebody's going to come along and steal it. The birds are going to come down and eat it. Somebody go, it'll, it'll go bad. You can't just leave it on the vine. You got to go get it and get it in, right? So in their context, think of it from, from Israel's perspective. In their context, six days you labor, one day you rest. And in their context, how important was that seventh day? I mean, how much more work could we have gotten done if we wouldn't have taken yesterday off, right? That would have been the, that would have been the mindset. And look at all of our Canaanite neighbors. They're all getting their crops in. We got to make sure we get out there and get our crop in. I, I've got job to do. We have bills to pay. We got work we got to get. I don't have time to, to, to go to church, to worship the Lord, and to wholly set a day apart. I don't have all of this time. Six days you labor. Seven days you labor, right? So the Lord, is, the Lord is pulling us back against that. That's what he's doing. He's pulling us back against that model. He's pulling us back against that mentality. He's saying there is, should be in your schedule, carved out time to, to rest. Sabbath day in an agricultural community was, was, was crucial. And yet the Lord says, give me that day as a sign of rest. Think about it in the New Testament. In fact, one of the greatest points of contention between Jesus and the Pharisees is this whole idea of the Sabbath day. You remember when they, they're going through and they pull grain because they're hungry on the Sabbath day and then the scribes and Pharisees critique him for it? Remember that, that entire process? Remember when he heals the man on the Sabbath day and they're like, oh, you're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath day. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a no-no. Like, nevertheless, he just healed someone, right? Like you're, you're missing the point. He just performed a miracle. You're hung up on the on the observance of the day, right? They're, they're tripping out over the wrong thing. This is one of the biggest points of contention. And Jesus shines so much light on our understanding of the Sabbath day. Matthew, or Mark chapter 2, verse number 27, where Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, and man was made for the Sabbath. But the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember that? He says, God built this in for you. He didn't, he didn't build it in for himself. God built this in. The Sabbath was given to you as a, as an opportunity for you to express your trust and worship in the Lord. And the Sabbath was given to you because you need this rest and because you need this trust in the Lord. So I think practically then, what does this, what does this mean for you? Do you, here, here it is, do you make resting in Christ a priority? For the record, the Sabbath day of the Old Testament is not the Sunday of the New Testament. Many people that teach that or believe that and they try to cross those two sorts of ideas, but this, this is not the idea at all. But the principle in resting on the Sabbath certainly applies to the New Testament. But the Sabbath day was, was the seventh day. It was quite literally Saturday. Today, it would, it would, what we do today, we do on the first day. We observe not a day of rest, we observe a day of worship to God on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus resurrected from the grave on Sunday, right? He came out the first day of the week, the Bible says. So we gather together on Sunday. We wholly give that day to the Lord, not as a Sabbath day observance, but we give that day to the Lord as a resurrection day observance. That's why sometimes you'll hear people say, well, every Sunday is resurrection Sunday, right? What do they mean by that? 
What they're saying is, you don't have to just wait till Easter to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Because every time we get together on Sunday, what the church is saying is, Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. That's why we all get together and worship and praise Him. So this, the Sabbath day is, is not Sunday. These are two very different things. The early church recognized the Lord's day as Sunday, which is why we recognize the Lord's day as the Sunday. But there, the, the comparison and contrast really stops right there. Beyond that, there's no more comparison and contrast. But the principle applies the same. Here's what Jesus says. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You can go to Hebrews chapter 4. I want, you, I want to show you this one. We'll be, we'll be done for the night. Hebrews chapter 4. You find this very same idea. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, I'm in verse 8 of chapter 4. For if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Verse number 9. For there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Verse 11, so let us therefore, so let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the, the same example of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, it's the same principle laid down in, in Exodus chapter number 20, that God has always graciously given to his people rest. When the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, God gives them rest. Do you remember that? The, the palm trees by, by, by Elam, he gives them rest, gives them water, gives them a place to relax. We see it in creation. God himself gives us an example. Rest on the seventh, seventh day. Even while they wander in the wilderness, here's the manna falling from heaven. You're to go out and you're to get new manna every day, except on the sixth day you're supposed to get enough for two. And you're not supposed to go out on the seventh day and get any more because there won't be any more manna. God has for always and all times had a rest for his people. There remaineth a rest. That's what he's saying. Same thing as Hebrews is saying. So his, his, God is not pounding at your hard door saying, what are you doing for me? What are you doing for me? Where's your work? What are you doing for me? Produce, 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 produce. God isn't pounding on your heart or my heart doing either one of those things. Here, here's what he's saying to you. Are you weary this evening? And anybody in the room weary this evening? Am I tired? Exhausted? Check. Come and rest. Anybody burdened? Troubled? Mind wandering? Check. Anybody have trouble of the soul? Can't sleep at night? Bothered about what someone else is saying or doing? Check. Come and rest. Anybody worried about approval from other people? Always trying to find validation in what other people think about you? Check. Come and rest. Anybody bothered about, man, what to do about tomorrow? Check. Come and rest. This is the principle. This is the New Testament principle for you and for me. There is a rest, and that rest is found in Christ and in Christ alone. 
Notice the irony of verse number 11 in Hebrews. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. You see that? Let us labor to enter into rest. Okay, so this is something that you have to work toward in your life. You have to work against. You have to fight against. What? You have to fight against this idea that you need some sort of external approval. You have to fight against some sort of quest to prove that you're the best at whatever it is you're doing. You have to fight against the idea that you're strong enough to handle it on your own. You have to fight against the idea of trusting in your health or trusting in your money or trusting in some relationship. You have to fight against these things. You have to fight against the idea that you'll always have the energy or the vitality or the freedom that you do right now. You have to fight against that strive, labor to enter into this rest. What rest? The rest that Christ offers to you and to me. And come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is what theologians call the great truth of sleeping well. It's, it's something when a believer who's going through problems, having trials, having circumstances, having difficulty in their life, when they can lay themselves down at night, close their eyes, and go to sleep. They call it the theology of sleep. You should do a, do a Google search on that this evening. It'll be, be a fun study for you. The theology, some of you are practicing it right now. You're putting it up to the pastor. It's the theology of sleep. Here's what it is. It's a wonderful gift. Sleep is a wonderful gift that God has given to you and to me. And I think here's one of the greatest gifts from it. Here's what it is. When you wake up in the morning, the world is still going. Man, we love to think that we make the world go. And you wake up in the morning, your first thought should be, man, I didn't do anything to make the world go. It just did. And now I woke up and it's still going. And guess what? You go to sleep tonight. And you'll wake up, and it's, some of you feel that way right now. I, I fell asleep in this sermon, and now it, I woke up, and now it's still going. This is amazing. Okay, here it is. And God's quite capable of managing and controlling the world without you. So rest. Rest. Sleep easy. Sleep well. Why? Because our omnipotent God is in control. Man, we love to think that we're controlling it, that we're doing it, that we're changing it. Yes, six days labor, work hard. Man, but sleep well. God is on the throne. That's the Sabbath principle for you and for me. That you can rest in Christ. Christ.